Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from a non-technical inventor whose product now sells all over the world on tips for getting an invention idea off the ground as a side hustle. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Graham Whitehead to the show. Graham is a client of our very own Macro Design who invented the Connect Cooler, an ultra-high-end cooler that has won three international product awards, including Indiegogo, Creative Pool, and the New York Product Design Awards. He is a corporate vice president that invented, designed, manufactured, and sold his product as a side gig still to today. Now, Graham is going to share some valuable knowledge for inventor startups and small manufacturers on how to design a quality consumer product, tips for getting to manufacturing and working with manufacturers, and how to leverage influencers to gain early product exposure and traction in the marketplace for your invention idea as a hardware startup. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. We're excited today to talk about your journey with CNC coolers and how you went from just an idea to a product that's being sold all over the world, highly acclaimed by influencers, all this sort of great stuff. I think you've got three major awards now, design awards, product awards, that sort of stuff. So today, I really want to pick your brain about tips and tricks for non-technical founders, people who have an invention idea and want to get that product to become a real product business and your journey along the way to get there and tips and tricks for how you became the success that you are today. Before we get into all of that, just give us a bit of a background to your history and your career. Great. Yeah, I come from a professional services background and I certainly don't have experience in manufacturing, marketing, or engineering. So, and I think that one of the keys for me was to identify what I don't know right up front and say, well, I, there is some organization, there is some planning that I'm good at what I do know. I can converse with people. I value customer service, but there's things I don't know. And what I don't know, I could engage. There's lots of professionals like Mako that I engage with sort of my first step saying, clearly I'm not an engineer, not an industrial designer. So that was the first step. So that's amazing because the interesting thing about what you were trying to do is you really wanted to achieve a quality product right out of the gate. And you had a really high standard for what you wanted the eventual thing to be in manufacturing. And you essentially allowed the design team to do their best work to see your vision, understand your vision understand all the direction, which you, you were great at and guiding what that vision is and what you want the product to end up being and how you want it to work and all these different standards that you put behind it, but allowing them to put their best efforts into creating the underlying design, prototyping, engineering that could build an actual manufacturable product at the end of the day. Just explain to everybody what the cooler is. So Connect Cooler is a product we designed specifically for Tesla storage spaces. So for those listening, you know, that may have a Tesla or I've seen it, it's that strange frunk, that front trunk. There's the sub trunk where usually there's parts in the back that the Teslas are able to accommodate in extra storage spaces. And that's where the idea came from is I have one myself. I bought it in 2018 and this looked like a cooler storage space. And I thought somebody's got to make this for that. 
So that was the genesis of it. I just thought this is looks like a cooler holder. The concept was great. You saw an opportunity for the space, but then you wanted to take it one step further. And you basically said, I want this thing to look and feel like it belongs at a Tesla. I want it to have that quality. I want the handles to have that chrome dip. And arguably you made as many awards a test, but you've essentially designed the world's highest end cooler, arguably in many different ways. I guess that all came from have other coolers, other brands that I don't need to plug on your podcast. The other ones that I, I was quite fascinated. I love the performance of these high-end coolers and people really love it. And they actually enjoy the cooler when you're poolside or something like that, or you're having a get together and you pull out the cooler and if you got warm content, warm stuff in there, it's just horrible. Like everybody's moods down. So I liked the cooler product, but I knew full well, I would be a potential customer myself. And I think that was key for me is pushing quality is like, would I buy this? And if I wouldn't buy this or I don't love it, then why would I expect anybody else to buy it? Why would I buy this? Why would anybody else buy this? There's already established brands out there. Why would anybody do that unless it had something unique, something different than other brands? So it had a head of a Tesla aesthetic connection. So I pushed your design team and to actually build door handles that mirrored Tesla's door handles on the top of it. That's unique. And it has an aesthetic connection. We made the same color as the paint color on the car. All those things just say, well, it was now it's just an accessory to the car as opposed to a generic brand that just happened to fit or we found a way to make it fit. It had to be unique because if I'm doing it for that unique space, it had to look like it was designed for it in that car. Yeah, that's amazing. And it looks so beautiful. If anyone's listening in on the podcast, you'll have to take the effort to actually click in the links below. I'll put the links below to the Connect Cooler, cnctcooler.com. And you'll have to just take a look at this thing and you'll right away why it won all the awards that it did. It's just something that's very special because not only were we given the tools as a designer, and I would say given the green light to be able to go after the best and make something that is the best, but you were very specific in the details that you wanted. I mentioned earlier about the vision. Talk a little bit about the clarity and vision and how, I guess, looking at yourself as your own customer enabled you to really almost co-design with your design team, something that really hit all the marks you were trying to achieve. So going back to the initial comment, I come from a professional services background and I knew I wasn't an engineer. So I had to ask all these tough questions. I knew what the requirements would be, but I don't know what makes a high-performing cooler. Maco had engineers that could help me with that. So I didn't know what would be the amount of insulation that I would need, what would be the design requirements in order to have it perform, like what are the key features that would be necessary in, in doing that, how thermal dynamics really work. I don't really know. I know the outcome. I want the cooler to perform really well, but how to do that? There was a lot of unknowns to me. So different qualities of insulation materials, that air is an insulator. How good is air is actually a good insulator? So all these things that I had to worked with Maco and your engineers to, to get that over the finish line. And even if I was comparing it to other premium cooler brands, well, what was key features there that I'd be able to run a side-by-side -side test and perform the same? Because you were asking those questions, it allowed the designers to open up their mind to the key points that really would allow the product to achieve those milestones with the performance or the look or the feel or whatever else it is to make sure that it was best in class. But to hardware startups and ventures that are listening, think about the questions. That was really a highlight for me in what you were saying here, Graham, is that right. you thought about not 
not just the vision that you wanted it to be, but you started asking the key clarifying questions so that the experts could give you the, the information and then you could make the decisions on really how to best achieve that vision based on the most relevant technical details required in order to achieve that vision. And that's right. really something that as a hardware startup and a hardware founder, it's important to keep in mind because they are there to bring your vision to life. Well, in order for that to happen, you have to work with them on that vision. You have to describe it and ask those clarifying questions. And every week we're collaborating, coordinating, honest, absolutely. Yeah. Even as we progress to the point of potentially manufacturing, there's another round of doing the same thing because the tooling and the machinery, the manufacturer then pushed back. A couple of them wanted to redesign the whole thing in order for them to manufacture. Well, that took them off the list, obviously. <laughs> but ultimately, the manufacturer we utilized still had its own limitations on what it could manufacture because of the materials, because of the process. And that was another piece that I relied on Macro's engineers to say, well, how do we do this without compromising any of the requirements? How do we still do this? They can't make corners as sharp as I want it. It just doesn't work that way. Would I notice? Is it a key thing? So throughout the process, continuing to going back, but just being patient through that process because there's several smart minds trying to figure out how to accomplish something was a, a big piece. Macro played a big role in that as well. Well, I appreciate that. And it was really helpful because our technical experts could work with manufacturing experts and working in collaboration with you on the vision planning to essentially assure that the best of all of these different pieces was able to get done. And a lot of the time that relies on also pushing back on the manufacturers as we did with your product, yeah. getting into the roto molding, local manufacturing, which I think we should talk about as well. It was key to understand all of those criteria and have all the different stakeholders. And this is something that's really important as a hardware startup. You have many different stakeholders. Each of them can be very helpful in many different ways. And if you utilize all of that expertise and all of those opinions, organize it, prioritize it, at the end of the day, you can best capture that original vision. And I like how you mentioned that that trails all the way through to and including manufacturing, because that's also a big missing step that a lot of folks misinterpret is that when they're done, the prototyping, they're ready for pre-production, there's still going to be some checks and balances and tweaks and refinements as you go into that production process. Sometimes yes. it's to save money. Sometimes it's to improve quality. Sometimes, as you mentioned, there's a design change that needs to be made for whatever reason. Sometimes it's a part that all of a sudden yeah. is no longer available that you were relying on. It's okay though, if you take that kind of collaborative, interactive, expert-based approach, put all these various stakeholders together and really try and find the solution in amongst the nest. Yep. So one thing was, it's really great to say that the cooler held 24 cans. Well, in order for it to hold 24 regular size cans meant the dimensions would be altered slightly, but how would that affect its performance, all that sort of stuff. So these things, and you just had to work through to make sure that all these things worked out. And then as manufacturer pushed for their own design elements, absolutely. I would also suggest too, that the manufacturer will push back one, because they don't want to do it is another thing, which is really not my problem or your, your listeners problem. They're looking to launch a product, but it may boil down to cost. So they'll push back based on labor or requirements like that. And it just may mean that the product may have more scrap and maybe more difficult to make. So it just could push the price up. So uh, their pushback may end up impacting the price if you just keep pushing forward. So you have to strike a balance in order to get your cost reasonable. 
Absolutely. And a lot of the time with the expertise weighing in on your side, that's why it's good that you're bringing in the manufacturing engineering and the industrial designers, mechanical engineers, et cetera, to be working with the manufacturing engineers on their side to really determine what is something that can be done and is maybe just an inconvenience. Well, like you said, that's the producer's problem. Let's overcome that hurdle. Let's work together to solve that problem. What are the things that are related to cost and how can we achieve a balance within that when we're dealing with the producer? Eventually, all these things start to come together. The other thing to consider as well, as you did, is you looked at multiple different manufacturers. You're going to get different answers from different producers. Even if you're looking at three ident- relatively identical injection yeah. molding facilities, I can assure you that they have different equipment, different processes, different labor, different expertise, different familiarities and experience with what they've dealt with this in terms of even the equipment that they have on site, even if it is identical to other facilities. That's so sweet. it sometimes requires a little bit more work with your manufacturing engineers, your design engineers to be working with a number of different players in order to figure out who can really accomplish the goal that you want and really not giving up until you find it. Talk a bit about the rotal molding because that was something you did, not only your decision to have manufacturing in the USA, but also with the rotal molding process so that you could accomplish a number of these factors together. Yeah. So during the process, we had gone out for interest as well for manufacturers to work for with the startup company that our minimum water quantities wouldn't be a massive amount. And so they had some willingness to work with small initial order quantities. That's big. Uh, which was big just so you can test the waters, understand what you're doing. So that was a big thing. Luckily, we found some interest in doing that and ability to make molds. And in talking with the manufacturer, their selling points were it was well established in the industry that the best in class coolers were rotational molded. That construction allowed for strong, like rigid plastic and allowed for a, a large cavity to be filled with insulation quite easily, including the lid. So your economy type coolers don't have any insulation in the lid. They're not rotational molded. They have a rough shell, a rough outer surface to, to hide all the imperfections. That's why it's like that. And they can't easily fill the insulation. It's too much labor to do all that stuff. And I said, well, that's a non-start. I don't want any of that. I don't think that's what my customer wants. I don't, at the time, I didn't really know, but that was what we were pushing for. So the manufacturer assured us and they had done some prototypes of other very high-end premium brands, very well-known brands in the premium cooler space and showed us how those were designed and manufactured using their rotational molding process. What was helpful for me is it's just me as a startup. This is a, a side venture that I'm doing. I was pushing hard for this to be made in the U.S. I think U.S. customers being the largest market where Teslas are available and I'm looking to sell to. I think that's a value to the U.S. customer that it is made in the U.S. And I lucked out in finding a manufacturer that's about a three-hour drive for me. So I can do that. I can't drive to Asia. So that was allowed me to at least start the conversation with them or be open for them to do it. I want to talk a bit about the front-facing side of things because one of the ways that I saw you get to market, which I thought was brilliant, we've seen it work other times in many different categories, but you just took units of your product off the production line and gave them to influencers. No contract, no guarantee that they're going to even talk about you, let alone say something good about you, and really no money changing hands. And you had a ton of success with that. 
funny that people that I had followed and you kind of get a sense of their reputation, I, I had met them in person and to whatever degree of comfort that gave me was enough. To your point, I really didn't know what they would say. The integrity piece was important, of course, that if I paid for something and then I couldn't say it online or social media or in any advertising that this was a real review, it's not if I'm paying for him to say what I need him to say. So other than shipping the product, that was with the commitment to do. And I trusted that the product would be enjoyed. So it worked out that they picked it up and did really enjoy it. That really helps. And it essentially created a couple hundred dollar version of a YouTube campaign that is much more powerful than what I could do as content myself. So it's something that I can share and I promote their content. But you're quite right. There was no contract that they had to say nice words or certain keywords or anything like that. And the only exchange was the YouTubers are looking for their own content, new interesting content that others hadn't done. And he gave their subscribers a little promo code. That's plenty of consideration for them that had worked. Yeah, it's amazing. I saw your interview with the Tesla Owners Club, the yeah. founder of that, and you just sent it to him. And this is where the quality that you put into the product really shone because he spends minutes on this YouTube video just talking about the features and how much he likes them and the finishes and the handles and how smooth the operations were and all this sort of stuff. And it just goes to show you that when you put the time and the effort into quality, you were able to send that over with this like tens of thousands of followers and he for free just did this long <laughs> review and all kinds of stuff showcasing your product, right? Yeah. How amazing. But really, there's no way that wouldn't happen if the A, the product vision wasn't good and B, if it was a crap product. So if you actually <laughs> focus on quality, you start seeing these both direct and indirect benefits start to come back to you, especially as you start releasing to market. And all this was something that you got, all this media was earned for free, which is phenomenal, right? right? I just want to add though that what people don't see, and I'd love to share with your audience is that keep in mind that there's a time as we built the product and slowly test it in the real world, you would test it myself. I would test it with customers and I'd get feedback and, and we had to address it. You had to stand by the product, you had to deal with it. So I'm just sharing that the path to having some success is not linear. And there's going to be challenges in there until I got to a point that I knew I could ship and he would love. And even to be really granular with that explanation, you want to test a product, ship it on a FedEx truck or a UPS truck. You're really going to test whether <laughs> your product is going to survive when it sits on the back of an aluminum bed truck for two days. If anything can survive that, it's going to be just fine by the consumer. So just a tip of always do that. But I learned a lot. Slow rollout of product. You learn, you retool, you figure out where the problem is. I came back to Macro's engineers and I said, here's what we're experiencing. Okay, we retool, we found new parts, resource. But they were all interchangeable pieces designed for that purpose because challenges are going to surface. Customers are going to give you feedback. As long as you're responsive, uh, most people are pretty rational. It's a great way to build a product brand is to roll out things in sequence and learn. And that was something you did really well, Graham, is every time, whether it was early prototypes all the way up to production units, every time you sent it out into the world or did the tests, you'd very carefully listen to the feedback and look to overcome the obstacles that were there. So right. that's why as it the product evolved, it became this thing where you were so confident you could send it to some of the top influencers in your particular niche industry with right. the confidence that they were going to love it. And they were going to see a lot of those details. And that's what I find so amazing about the reviews is how much detail they go into because these are people who review products all the time. So if you yeah. actually put the effort into the details, 
That's what they're going to see. That's the reason why you're getting free reviews, essentially. The detail, even like we have a magnetized bottle opener on the lid, but that's really difficult to push on a website that a YouTuber, to your point, is really going to, wow, this, okay, everybody forgets the bottle opener. Now you're not going to forget it. It's the little details that don't really come through in a lot of images that comes through on those reviews. That's great, Graham. Where can people go to learn more about the cooler or to potentially buy one of the coolers? So our website is connectcoolers, spelled cnctcoolers.com. We ship free in North America. We also have wholesalers as well that quickly find, but just searching under that, you'll, uh, you'll find them. And you guys now are starting to ship in multiple countries all around the world, right? Yeah, we ship direct in Canada and the US, but now through wholesalers, we're offering worldwide shipping and utilizing their presence in shipping, which was a, a nice offering. It is an amazing feeling to get customer photos from Australia. I can tell you that. That's special <laughs> moments. Like as a startup, you just can't ship to distant places in the world and expect to get any sort of return on that. But there are other channels and there are others that can do that or specialize in that. Just really cool moments, absolutely. Graham, thanks so much for all your words of wisdom for emerging hardware startups going on their journey, going from idea to productions. Much appreciated. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks, Graham. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo, and Macodesign design and invent the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups small manufacturers and inventors thanks for joining and see you next time